Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to, uh, to Grace. It's good to have you here. Thanks for making the effort to come out. And it's good to be back with you. I was in uh, Dallas last week, and I, about once a year, I get pastors together from all over the U.S. and Canada and uh, take them someplace and, and help to train them and uh, energize them a little bit. So we made a decision to go south to get out of the weather. So we went to Dallas to get some sunshine and to not get in the weather. And it was 26 degrees and there was an ice storm and it was fantastic. And I go, I go to leave, I'm trying to get back here and I'm talking to this lady at the airport and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry you're going north. I'm like, no, I wanna go north because they know what to do when it snows. Like, you guys can't even get me out of here. So I'm really, really glad uh, to be back here in this beautiful weather and uh, praise God. So it's good to be together and uh, glad that you're here. We're in the middle of a series right now called My Life Change When, and we're talking about the idea that God writes our story, right? So the Lord leads us certain ways. He created us in our mother's womb. He knit us together. The Bible says that he foreknew us, that he prepared good works in advance for us to do. When you think about your life and you think about the journey you're on, there's, there's a purpose to it. There's a plan to it. There's a pathway that God is taking you down and he's doing that for a reason and he's giving you the story that he means to give you. And when we embrace that, when we embrace those defining moments that God brings us into, our lives change at that point. And they change to the glory of God, they change for the purpose of God, they change ultimately for our benefit, for the desires of our heart that God wants to give us, and it's, it's our story. So My Life Changed When is just about those defining moments. And what we've been talking about is uh, when you hear us t- uh, talk about that here on the weekend or you start thinking about that on your own, let everybody know about it. Kind of come out publicly and, and say, my life changed when God did this in my life at this pivotal moment. And it's a huge part of how we encourage each other and a huge part of how we share the good news and the great love of Jesus with the world around us. So that's the idea. Shoot the video, use your phone, use your computer. If you're not sure how to do that, ask your eight-year-old. They'll set you up with it. And throw it out on uh, social media, Facebook or Twitter, put on Twitter, hashtag it. And uh, when you see your friends do that, share it and get it bouncing around and let's tell our life change win stories. Uh, we talked about this the last couple of weeks. This weekend, I wanna continue the conversation and I wanna talk about the idea that our life changes when we take a risk with God, that we take a risk with God. The, the idea that God would call you to do something or God would prompt you to do something. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God works in these ways. He'll call you or prompt you or put something on your heart or give you an impression. There's a bunch of different ways that we're describing God asking me to do something and our responsiveness and our willingness to do that. And when we take that risk with God, God teaches us a ton of stuff in those moments. Now this is a, it's a big deal and it's a great reminder because right now, kind of in North America, the, the predominant view of my interaction with God is I follow God because it's supposed to make my life better. 
If you flip on the TV or read the right author, that's what they're going to tell you, that you, you have something that you want to achieve in your life and you follow God and God's going to give you that. He's going to make you healthy. He's going to make you wealthy. He's going to give you your goals. And in that, it's going to cause you to feel safe and secure and God's going to kind of make life go good because you're following him. It's a great thought. It's just completely unbiblical. And it, the Bible would teach something very, very differently. Uh, when, you, when you read the Bible and you look at the people in the Bible, God rarely brings them to a place that, thou, that they're a follower of Jesus, everything just smooths out. You know, I follow Jesus and my dreams come true. I follow Jesus and he gives me what I want. In the Bible, it's very different. When you read the Bible, when someone starts to follow Jesus, it's usually when life gets a little crazy, right? Because God will ask those people to take a risk for him. And taking a risk for the Lord is very commonplace in the scripture where God will lead or God will prompt or God will put something on someone's heart and they will step out of where they're at and go after something that God has asked them to do. And there's no teaching in the Bible that would show us that God would work differently today. The idea that I follow Jesus and all my problems go away is something that we made up. That's not something that God teaches. But the idea that I'm a follower of Jesus and I still will push myself, I still will go after the things of God, I still will take a chance, I still will take a risk, I will follow God by faith, is not just something that a few Christian superheroes do. It is actually the norm for the Christian life and something that causes you and I to draw closer to the Lord. In fact, if your relationship with God is a little flat, is a little boring, is a little ritualistic, I just kind of do church, I say this, I go that, I give some money, I don't smoke, drink, two day girls will do cheer for Michigan. I don't do those kind of things. If that's what your Christian life has boiled down to, it's because it is riskless. You want to learn to pray. You want to learn to dig out truth from the Bible. You want to learn to take an adventure with God. Step out on faith and start taking a risk and life will light up and God will show up in very real and very powerful, sometimes even in supernatural ways. And that's the pattern of the Bible. And that is the norm that God would lay out for someone who is his follower. So what does it mean to take a risk with God and how can we position ourselves in such a way that we're willing and able to do that? So let's just talk about risk here for a second before I dig in and show you this in the Bible. And and let's just define the difference between taking a risk and taking a risk with God. So we live in a schizophrenic culture right now, right? where there's one side of our culture that's all about safety and security. So it's the the helicopter parents culture, wrap your children in bubble wrap, have them sleep in an oxygen rich environment while playing Bach and Mozart, you know. By the way, none of that works, we tried it. But it's a, right, is that one side. And then there's the insanity of our culture, which is like, let's drive our bike down this railing on these steps and see if we can produce a compound fracture in our leg. I was watching a show the other day and the guy rode on the front of the van. The van stopped, he flew forward and he was trying to put himself through a piece of plywood. 
That's fantastic. He lived, unfortunately. So he's still out there. But, but like it, it's, it's that stuff. It's like the YouTube stuff of like all the insanity. And then there's like the, I got to ask my mom if I'm allowed to do anything. And we kind of live in this schizophrenic thing. So when we think about risk in our culture, we usually think about craziness. And when we talk about taking a risk with God, is he talking about this craziness? And the answer is not really. What does it mean to take a God-directed risk? Let's just talk about this for a second. God-directed risk, what's it like? Well, let's, let's talk about what it's not like first. God-directed risk is not an impulse. You know, I, I decided to, to jump off the, the roof of my house onto a trampoline into the pool, and that's an impulse. God-directed risk is not an impulse necessarily. It's something that we would be led to, directed to, even think about. It's a risk, but it's not an impulse. God-directed risk is not necessarily reckless. So it's not throwing my body away or throwing my life away. It's not reckless specifically because God promises to be the safety net. So if God asks you to take a risk, he also promises to go with you on that. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm, I'm going to be for you. If I'm before you, who can be against you? So God's involved. So it's not reckless. It's just risky, right? But it's not reckless. It's not an impulse. A God-directed risk will be unknown and will be costly. That's the nature of risk, right? So risk is a two-sided sword. It's a double-edged sword, right? One, one side of risk, the thing that draws us to risk is the possibility of what could be. Right? I remember when I asked my wife Heidi out for the first time, I thought, you know, I'm way out of my league. I'm going to swing for the fences because if she has a momentary lapse in her judgment, she could wind up with me, right? And so it's a possibility. But the other side of risk is in order to pursue what could be, I have to walk away from what is, and that's the hard part of risk. I have a familiarity of my life. I see this, I have a dream, I have a desire, but I have to leave this. And familiarity is a very strong thing. In fact, some of us will live in miserable circumstances just because we know them. So risk is a double-sided sword. It's the possibility of what could be, but I have to leave what is. And so when God directs a risk, he's always calling us from what is into what is unknown, and there's going to be a price tag attached to it. Varying degrees, but there's going to be a price tag attached to it. So it's not impulsive, it's not reckless, it is unknown, it is costly. God-directed risk always has an eternal purpose and always has an eternal reward attached to it. So God's not just like bored and saying, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have him go fight a giant, that'll be fine. That's not what he's doing, right? He, there's a purpose there's a reward, there's a cost, there's an unknown. It's not reckless, God is with me. It's not impulsive, he's leading me, but it's a risk nonetheless. And then the last thing we have to remember about risk and everything in our relationship with God is that God is never, ever gonna call you outside the parameters of the Bible, ever. So the Bible and all of our Christian life is, is the parameters within we function. So God-directed risk is going to be God asking you to implement the truth of God's word in a, in a manner specific to you. Okay, that's gonna be what it's gonna look like, sound like, and feel like. It's not gonna be this random thing. 
It's gonna be guided and directed and kind of bound by the word of God, okay? So God-directed risk. So what, what does this look like? How does it play out? And how can we participate in it? I wanna show you this happening in the Bible. We'll draw some things out of it and, and start to understand it more and more. So grab your Bibles, go to Joshua chapter three. Joshua chapter three, it's page 148 and the Bible's in the chairs there if you wanna use those. And if you are using an electronic device, we use the YouVersion app. Joshua chapter three. Let me, let me frame this out for you a little bit. In Joshua chapter three, there's a guy named Joshua who was the head of the nation of Israel. And he and the nation of Israel, about three million of them, are on the other side of the Jordan River. God's gonna ask them to cross it. You're gonna see here in a minute across the Jordan River so they can begin to take hold of what the Bible calls the promised land. The promised land is a land that the Bible says was flowing with milk and honey. It's a place where the Jewish nation could be free, where they could pursue God, where they could kind of have their dreams come true. And that land was promised to this group of people's parents. So their parents are the people who came out of Egypt, right? So you may know about Moses. You may know about the plagues. The Jewish nation is in Egypt, they're slaves. It's the Jews who built the pyramids. It wasn't aliens, no matter what the History Channel says, it wasn't aliens, right? So it's the Jews who built the pyramids, they're enslaved there. Moses was sent by God. They cried out to God for deliver. God sent Moses. Moses was sent by God. And then you may be familiar like with the plagues, the frogs and the boils, all that kind of stuff. The new movie out right now is uh, uh, Gods and Kings. It's a poor presentation of that story, but it is one nonetheless. And they got Moses's name, right? Christian Bale. So Batman goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, right? Pharaoh doesn't, all the plagues come. He finally releases them. The nation of Israel exodus them. That's the book of Exodus. The, the Egyptians come after them. The sea comes in, collapses them. And now they're out in the wilderness. This is these people's parents. God brings that generation to the edge of the promised land and looks at them and says, in essence, will you take a risk with me? Will you trust me? Will you follow me? I'm going to lead you into the promised land. And the people said, no, we're not doing it. We wanna go back to Egypt. And God said, fine, I'm not gonna give you the promised land. You're gonna wander the wilderness for 40 years. That generation is gonna die out and I'm gonna give this promised land to your children. 40 years later, we're in Joshua chapter three. And they are just across the river from the promised land. And God's about ready to ask them to take a risk and start to go into it. Now, listen, this was not an easy ask because you gotta remember who these folks are. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years, but they grew up, the ones of them that were alive, they grew up in slavery, so they remember, or at a minimum, their parents told them stories about being slaves in Egypt. And they're looking and saying, wow, I'm not making bricks anymore. I'm not being beat by a slave master anymore. We're in the wilderness. In the wilderness, we can worship God. In the wilderness, we're free. In the wilderness, we get manna and quail. So kind of breakfast and lunch shows up. Easy peasy, right? We're, we got a pretty good life in the wilderness. It's not the promised land, but it's not awful, it's a pretty big risk because they have the possibility of what could be and then they're leaving what for many of them is the best circumstances they've ever lived in. 
And God looks and says, will you do this? I want you to do this. Cross the river and go into the promised land. And what does that look like and what did they do? Look at Joshua chapter three, verse one. We'll start to see it. Here's the first thing. If I'm going to take a risk with God, the first thing I have to remember or know is that I must always move in step with God. If I'm gonna take a risk with God, I have to know that I have to move in step with God. Verse one, chapter three, Joshua. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp giving orders to the people. Here it is, ready? When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. At this point in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was the earthly presence of God. So what Joshua, what the Lord was saying to Joshua and the people were saying is when you see, we would say it this way, when you see God move, you get up and you go with God, right? When you see the Ark of the Covenant go, follow it. When you see God move, follow it. Now let's stop here for a second. Guys, the idea that what it means to be a Christian is to show up in church once a week, toss a little money in the basket, right? Be a moralistic person, is craziness. The whole concept of being a Christian is that when God moves, we go with him. In the New Testament, the Bible would say that's what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. When you see God move, when you see God prompt you, when you have a unique burden, when you have a deep conviction, when all of a sudden something is in your radar and you are being called to execute the Bible in a specific way, when you see God move, a follower of Jesus Christ gets up from what they're doing and follows Jesus Christ. We talk about this with the elders of the church all the time, that when we're laying out plans for the church or opening new campuses or whatever we're doing, we're we're looking and we're saying, God, show us what you're doing. We want to join you. We're not asking you to bless our plans. We want to join you in your plans. And that's what Joshua is teaching the people. You see that, that, that Ark of the Covenant move? Go with it. Follow it. Move. The Christian life is not a, hey, I got my salvation. I'm out of hell. Now I'm going to kind of wait for the rapture to happen. The Christian life is a constant movement. It's a life of risk. And if you are at the same place spiritually that you were six months or 12 or 18 months ago, something wrong because God's always moving. And when the spirit of God moves, the conviction of God moves, the followers of Jesus go with him. I take a risk with God by staying in step with God. I'm not taking a risk for myself. I'm taking a risk with God which means I'm always have my eyes open to where are you leading? What would you have? I wanna participate with you. Now this flows right into the second principle and it's this, when I'm taking a risk with God, I'm following God's lead, I'm not asking God to follow mine. I'm following God's lead, I'm not asking God to follow mine. Chapter three, the end of verse three, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it, verse four, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way 
before. When I see God move, I move with him. And as I move with God, he shows me where to go. Now, as you're following God, let me tell you, God is not going to lay out the details of the plan. He's not going to lay out the details of the plan. He's going to lead you to a place of uncertainty. He's going to lead you into the unknown. And he's going to illuminate in front of you enough of the path for you to take the next step. But rarely, rarely, rarely are you going to follow God where he's going to lay out step one through 100. He's saying, follow me by faith. It's into the unknown. And once you're there, then you'll know where to go because you've never been here before. And that's very difficult for us because for most of us, if you're like me, I don't like being in the unknown. I like a plan. I like a schedule. I like a budget, right? That's how I like to function. So for me to step into the faith is a very difficult, I have to really trust the heart and the mind of God. And oftentimes when I get into the unknown of my life, what I tend to do is I try to get control of it. God, I don't, I don't like where I'm at right now. I am going to change my circumstances. And I would like you to bless that. I hate my job. I'm quitting this job. I'm going to open my dream of a hamster emporium. We're going to sell hamsters, right? God, just create a passion in Northeast Ohio for people to own their own hamster. And oftentimes when we go into the unknown, we try to take control of our life and ask God to bless what we've decided. And that's not how it works. God says, when when you see me move, you move. You take a step, and when you take that step, I'll show you the next step. Now, why would God do that? Why would God do that? One of the biggest reasons why God does that is because we will often have the courage to take the next step, but we would not have the courage to take a whole journey if we knew the end, right? I would have never had a child if I knew about teenagers, right? If I, if I knew how marriage actually worked, there's a reason why you're delusionally in love when you say, I do. <laughs> it locks you in. That's the way it works, right? I would have never started a church. The one thing I always say about church planning, I, the one thing I know for sure about church planning is I'll never do it twice. If we knew every nook and every cranny Our courage would waver and God looks and says, put your courage in me, follow me. You've never been this way before. And when you get there, I will show you the next step, right? I'm not taking control of my life and saying, God, you better bless this. I'm following God and God is gonna illuminate my path as I go. Now, here's the third principle. When I go to take a risk with God, one of the biggest things I need to remember is that God is writing my story in this process. God is writing my story in this process. Look at it again. When you see the Ark of the Covenant move, you go with it. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Verse five, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, take up the, the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. 
So they took it and they went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when they reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go in and stand in the river. God is writing your story. It's fascinating the process that God watched Joshua and the people through here. God looks at Joshua and Joshua looks at the people and says, first of all, consecrate yourself. The word consecrate, the best way that that would translate into our vernacular would be get close to God. Prepare your life to be close with God. If there's sin in your life, repent of it. If there's distraction in your life, throw it off. Get close with God. Draw close to the heart and the mind of God. And if there's any barrier that would exist between you and God, consecrate yourself, rid yourself of it so you're in sync with God. Consecrate yourself with God. Be in step with God, be in sync with God because I'm going to do amazing things tomorrow, the scripture says. That word amazing is a fascinating word. It, it's, a, it's a Hebrew word at its root. It's the same word that the Bible uses when it's describing the plagues that hit Egypt, the same word that the Bible uses when it describes the sea crashing on in the Egyptian army. The way that we would translate that into our modern vernacular is we would, we would probably use the word supernatural. I'm going to do supernatural things tomorrow. And then God looks at Joshua and he says, I'm going to exalt you in the same way that I exalted Moses. What's he saying? He's saying, Joshua, listen, sync up with me. Set aside your fear and set aside your doubt and set aside anything and be in sync with me. I'm going to do supernatural things for you and I'm going to interact with you the way that I interacted with your forefathers. Tell the priest to step in the river. God is writing your story. Guys, listen, the reason God would take you down a path, the reason why he would want you synced up with his heart and his life, the reason why he would want you, is because he wants to do supernatural things in your life. Not your mama's faith, not your parents' interaction with God, not a, a grand old Bible story, not something that happened on some missionary on the field sometime, but God wants to do something supernatural in your life. He wants to give you a story. This generation of Israelites, they needed to see the hand of God firsthand. They needed to experience the supernatural things that God was gonna do firsthand. And God works that way in his people and works that way in his people today. I'm not talking about you hitting the lottery. I'm not talking about you're, you're getting healthy and well. I'm not talking about the TV garbage. I'm talking about the supernatural stories of life change that God can perform in your heart today. That marriage that was saved, that kid that came back to, to, to Jesus, that incredible way that that person accepted Christ as their savior. God's calling on your life. Maybe you're the one being called into the mission field. God wants to write your story with you. Do amazing things in your life. Our faith is not something that we remember. Our faith is something that we experience as we follow 
God. God looks at Joshua and says, I want to do it for you. I want to do it for you. Not remembering, but experiencing. But there's a catch. What's the catch? Here's the fifth thing. You got to jump in the river. And the priests get down there, raging river, flood stage. Tell them to walk in. Could you part the waters before I get there? Nope. Walk in. And I'm going to blow your mind. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. It's about 10 feet deep and rapid. Yet as soon as the priests were carrying the Ark, reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a great heap, a great distance away. It was completely cut off. So the people crossed over the opposite of Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Isn't that fascinating? This wasn't just something. God didn't just do something amazing for a Bible superhero. He didn't just do something amazing for the priests with the Ark of the Covenant. They walked in and then the whole nation, approximately three million people, crossed on dry ground. So when they're talking to their kids later, they're not like, you won't believe this story Joshua told at church. You won't believe what that, I watched this video about this guy. When they told the story, they were looking and saying, I crossed the Jordan. I walked on dry ground. I looked upstream and there's a wall of water. I experienced it. God did something amazing and I was a part, it's a part of my story. And God led them someplace for them to experience. Because remember, they had to go fight the battle of Jericho now. They had to go conquer the promise. They got stuff to do. And God gave them the assurance that he was with them just as he was with their forefathers and the heroes of old. Guys, a lot of times when we think about our relationship with God, what draws us to God is the promised land. What could be. I, my marriage is a disaster. They were, un, he was unfaithful. She did the, we are at the bottom. And I watched this video one time or I read this book about this family and they were, and God supernaturally restored them. I want that promised land. God, could you write that into my story? And the answer is, yeah, I actually want to give you the desire of your heart. How do I get from where I'm at to the promised land? Well, you got to go over the river. You have to take a risk. If you want the miracle of restoration, you got to take the risk of forgiveness. If you, if you want the miracle of God resurrecting your marriage, you have to take the risk of dying to yourself. 
My promise, I, I dream of my husband taking spiritual leadership in my home and being the past, and all those things. Jeff always talks about the role of a father, and I just, I just wish he was like that. All right, you want the, that's your promise. That's what, how do I get from here to there? You gotta go across the river. If you want the promised land of your husband coming alive spiritually, Ephesians 5, you're going to have to take the risk of submitting to his leadership. I want to have a, a God-centered relationship. I want, that, I want that couple that died this week, hand in hand, married 67 years. Oh, I want that. I'm looking for a guy. If you want that, it's on the other side of the road. You're going to have to take the risk of living a sexually moral life. Because the guy you're hooking up with is not going to love you like that. The girl that puts out isn't going to love you like that. You have to take the risk of having a biblically grounded relationship to enjoy the promise of what God wants to give you because you want it and he actually wants to give it to you. See how that works? I want, to live a, I want to live a fulfilling life, a meaningful life. I want to invest in my grandkids. I want to, okay, then you're going to have to take a risk because that's on the other side of the river. You have to take a risk of living selflessly, putting others' interests above your own, Philippians 3, dying to yourself, Romans. Because that's where that comes from. I want the promise the promise on the other side of the river, and the river's raging. But when you jump in, when you jump in, God does amazing things. I remember about 16, 17 years ago, I was sitting in a meeting down at our, what is our Norton campus? Now our Norton campus is the mother campus of all of our campuses. And, and I was a youth pastor then and I was down in this meeting. We we're sitting with our elders and they were talking about plans and budgets and whatever. And I'll I, be honest with you, I was zoning out a little bit. It's before you had a smartphone to entertain yourself. So you kind of had to listen to people. And so I, I'm there, you know, kind of zoning out a little bit, lot, listening to these old guys talk. It, it, these guys are super old now. They were just old back then. You know, just the elders of the church, some listen to them talk, and some guys, you might recognize their names, some, some you wouldn't. Bob Combs, Dwight Stair, Dutch Romine, these, these guys, godly men. And they're the elders of the church, and they're talking about starting campuses, and should we build this new building, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm the youth pastor. I'm probably hungover from some all-nighter or something. I'm just kind of sitting there listening. Um, I remember as they were talking budgets and strategies and blah, blah. They started telling stories. And it, it grabbed my interest a little bit. So Bob would start telling us, so should we make this decision? I'm not sure. And Bob would say, you know, I remember like in 1981 when we felt led to build the, the auditorium at the Norton campus because the church was growing. So felt like we needed to do it. And interest rates were 17, 18%. Some of us remember that, 1981, right? Basically, you're putting the church on a credit card. 
And he said, I remember feeling led to do that and we did it. And, and Bob would say, I remember almost like shaking a little bit as we're signing the loan papers. Could we do this? But just knowing God was calling us to take that risk. And they would tell about God's faithfulness then after they got to the promised land. Dwight started talking and he, he tells a story, I love it. He, he, Dwight predated Bob. Dwight is... I don't know if he's the oldest guy at the church, but he's got to be pushing for that record right now. But he's been around forever, right? And Dwight will tell a story before Pastor Bob came that, uh, that he was trying, they were trying to get a work going there in Norton. It wasn't going, things weren't going well. And Dwight said, I made the decision that I was going to cast my vote to close the church. And he said, I, I got, we're having a meeting that night. I got in the car and I decided it's enough's enough and I was going to cast my vote, and it would have closed the church. And he said, as I was driving down Greenwich Road from Wandsworth into Norton, he said, I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit tell me not to do that. And he said, I got to the meeting, and I felt led. This is how we would describe it. I felt led not to close the church. If Dwight hadn't... <laughs> Dwight hadn't listened. Everything that is Grace Church would not exist. It all came from Norton. Dutch pipes up. He starts telling a story about, you know, back when the church had 40 people. You know, Grace has seven, 8,000 people. In it. Back, back when the church had 40 people in it, they decided to double their missions budget. And he said, he said, yeah, I remember when we did that and we, we took on these missionaries, we doubled our mission budget and we, and we all knew that we couldn't do it. God was just gonna have to somehow supply. That's how he would have said it. And looking back and saying, yeah, God was faithful and he supplied. Right? And I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm 25, 26, I'm, I'm listening to these stories and I'm kind of, engrossed in them now, you know, and I, and I remember thinking, this was my thought, I remember thinking, I remember praying, God, I want a story. I want a story. I, I don't, I love my forefathers, but I don't, I don't want to just tell their stories the rest of my life. I don't want to just remember how you showed up. I don't want secondhand information. I want a story. Would you give me a story where you showed up in supernatural ways that was beyond explanation and would you let me live it? I want to cross the river on dry ground. I was the youth pastor back then. Heidi and I had a very successful youth ministry and I will never forget to the day that I die, hopping in my car on Tuesday night, driving from Norton, it's going to Macedonia to go to seminary. And coming down through 77 here, getting off the exit to 271 North. And Heidi and I had talked about, I talked to my friends about how church should be, and you know what the problem with the church is, and if the church ought to, and everything that young people do, you know, and, and that was me, and I was like, we ought, well, somebody ought to, and somebody should, and why don't they, and the problem is, and, and I remember getting off on that exit, I'll never forget it, the Lord spoke to me, I, I probably could take you within 10 feet 
of where I stopped the car. And I pulled the car over and the Lord pressed into my heart and into my mind. The Lord led me, the Lord spoke to me, the Spirit directed me. There's a bunch of different ways. They all mean the same thing. And I remember God saying to me, you do it. You do it. And I remember stopping the car and thinking, I don't want to do it. I want to complain about it. Because I have a sweet life. I'm a big time youth pastor. And in my little world, I'm a big deal. And I don't, I like being a big deal. I don't want to go over here, right? And you do it. And the only opportunity I knew about was this broken down, beat up little church in Bath, Ohio. And I said, Lord, I do not, I don't want to deal with those people. You do it. I want you to do it. And I, I will never forget needing to consecrate myself with the Lord. Because arrogance and self-interest. And I'll never forget seeing the promised land. If God got involved in this, what could happen? And, and this, was, this was the big calling on an exit ramp. And I said, I said, okay, yes, here we go. If I had any idea what I was getting into, I would never say yes. Listen, ready? All I knew was who asked me. I knew who I was following. I just didn't know what I was doing. By the way, the little secret is I still don't actually know what I'm doing. And I have a story. I have thousands of stories. You, you are my promised land. Thousands of stories. We're going to have thousands more. And God asking us to step into a river is not a one-off event. It's a way of life. What you long for what you hope for, what you pray for, whether it's big or it's little, whether it's personal or it's corporate, is always on the other side of the river because God wants to give you that, but he's gonna give you that in a way that you never expected. And you take one more step And when you do, he'll show you the next one. And that's the way the Christian life works. It's rarely self-benefiting. That's a bunch of nonsense. It almost never makes life easier. That's a bunch of nonsense. But it's eternal. And when I get there and I see it, I realize that's what I actually wanted. 
Guys, are you willing to step into the river? My life changed when I took a risk with God. Your life will change. Your life will be different. Your life will be powerful. God never said the cool stuff was over when the Bible was done. But if your life is boring, if your interaction with God is passionless, if the great moments of your faith are memories and not realities, I guarantee you it's because you won't get in the river. The stories of faith are always written in the middle of the river. Will you join God there? I'm gonna take a few minutes and the, the band's gonna settle in and, and what we do in our services is we just carve out some time for you to download it all, right? Just some still moments. And that's what I encourage you to do. I'm gonna pray and they're gonna sing and you can worship or you can pray or you can respond to God however you feel led. But I bet you for many of you this weekend, you know what the promised land is, you know where the river is, and you have been scared to get into it. And when you hear this conversation today, it's hitting home for you and you're thinking of something specific. And that's not because somebody sent me an email, that's because the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart. Will you jump in? and take a risk with God. Jesus, change us, help us, embolden us, give us courage. Holy Spirit, convict us of sin. Give us the wisdom and the willingness to repent of it, to consecrate ourselves with you, and to see where you're moving and follow you. And God, we have dreams, and those dreams that are aligned with your heart, you wanna give us. Lead us, God, to you and walk with us. Go before us. God, let us take a risk with you. We love you. Help us even now in your name, Jesus. Amen.